Hey. I'm ready. <laughs> I can't do it. Welcome to episode 339 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Black. Welcome back for another episode. Brian, we got a grab bag today. Yeah, this one will be a little bit, uh, we'll, we'll keep it short. But before we get into the episode, I want to thank Fathom Analytics for making this show possible. Fathom Analytics is a simple, privacy-first analytics solution for your websites. It is incredibly simple to set up. It's easy to use. It is ridiculously fast. And it just shows you the right amount of information that you need to make decisions to improve your website. It shows you what content people are visiting, where they're visiting from, what kind of device they're using. And that's about it. Loads basically instantly. You get some real-time activity indicators. But it's so simple. And because of that, it means that you don't need uh, to implement user privacy protection services. You don't have to have a cookie notice for GDPR doesn't use any of that. They protect and care about the personal information of your users, making it incredibly easy for you to just get it started. And this team, it's two people and they are incredibly responsive. I've sent them bug reports, I've sent them feature requests, I tweeted them, uh, I listened to their podcast. Like I'm super into the way that they build really high quality, reliable software. And you should be using it. I've been using it for all of my personal projects. It's on my website, it's on designdetails.fm, on spec.fm. Every single time I add a site, it is so simple. Just a couple clicks, drop in a little snippet of code, and I'm off to the races. So you should get started today. Go to designdetails.fm slash fathom, and that's going to save you $20 off your first invoice. Yes, this is paid software, which means you can 100% guarantee that they're not reselling or collecting private information about your users. You just pay them a simple, straightforward monthly or yearly price, and for that, you get beautifully simple analytics. So go to designdetails.fm slash Fathom, and we're going to save you $20 on that first invoice. So thank you again to Fathom, and thank you for helping us get all the analytics to help us make better decisions on our website. Thank you. And we have but one solo Lone Ranger new very important pixel this week. All the attention goes to a single person. Who is it, Brian? Drum roll for Chris Royer. We had one very important pixel this week. So Chris, enjoy the spotlight, you lucky son of a gun. Just kidding. Thank you very much for supporting the show. If you don't know, we're a listener-supported podcast. For just a buck a month, you get access to sponsor-free episodes as well as bonus land. Bonus, bonus land, land, bonus, bonus land. land. The next bonus land is finished editing. We recorded it a little while ago. It is done editing. It'll be out before this episode is out. Yeah, I, I guarantee. In that episode, we talk about new morphism. Mm-mm-mm. All right, and just as a final juicy little teaser, we're going to throw in a little clip, a little preview audio of what we talk about in that bonus land. So here we go. Here's a little preview clip. New morphism is a visual trend that could best be described as bevel and a boss <laughs> applied to a like sort of soft, rubbery, silicone-like material. With a light at a 45-degree angle, give or take. Yeah, yeah. It's it's soft. It looks tactile. It looks visually pleasing. This looks like something that you just want to touch, right? Like I, 
it looks soft and soft interfaces like rounded corners they're things that you kind of just grabbed it to you're like oh i bet that would kind of pop if i could actually touch it through the screen or have like a nice resistance or tension us humans we like to touch things like show somebody an object and ask them to like take a look at it chances are they'll pick it up and touch it you know what i mean like yeah we don't just see things with our eyes we we see things with our hands right all right if you want the full episode just go to patreon.com slash design detail has your interest been piqued brian or do you want to hear more (laughs) do you want to hear us talk more about those sweet sweet shadows and soft buttons Mm -hmm. all that and more for just a dollar a month (laughs) what if i told you we even started talking about hardware as as relates to neomorphism Ooh, yeah okay well hopefully hopefully your interest is piqued and hopefully we're laying uh, it on thick right now (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. but for just a buck a month just a buck a month anyways What's next, Brian? What are we talking about now? We, we got a little bit of follow-up, right? Yeah, let's do it. So really quickly, we got a new review on this beautifully executed podcast app called Apple Podcasts. <laughs> uh, this review comes from username Howie Work. Howie says, love design details. Contents are helpful and great companions for young professionals who are new to this industry. Highly recommend. The review is long. It's like three more paragraphs. But I think that first intro uh, bit is kind of the gist. So thank you, Howie Work, for listening. And thank you for leaving a review. Yeah, thank you. We really appreciate that. That's very nice. And the rest of your review is also quite kind. So thank you. Cool. And I have a tiny bit of follow-up. So previously, I'd mentioned that there is an app called Play, createwithplay.com, which is kind of like a mobile design tool on your mobile device. Go figure. What a crazy concept. And I'd only seen a few videos of how it works, and I wasn't entirely sure about how all of that stuff would suss out. So I signed up for the beta, and I just got in, Brian. I'm in. Ooh, tell me. what's How, how is it? It is very good, actually. I, I've oh, been very wow. impressed with the solutions they've come up with for the seemingly intractable problems of designing on a mobile device. Like, how do you design a screen that is the same size as the screen that you're currently using. That's kind of crazy, right? So one of the main things I want to call out is their liberal use of sliders. It seems as though they've built their own custom slider component that they use throughout the entire app. All editing is done with sliders. So aside from typing text or dropping an element onto the canvas Everything else is done with sliders. So changing font size, changing alignment, changing basically everything is is done with these really custom sliders. And what's cool is all of the sliders live in this kind of bottom panel, like a bottom sheet that pops up whenever you tap on any given element in the interface. That's, That's kind of like your right side design panel, right? And what's really cool is as soon as you start dragging one of these sliders left to right, the entire interface goes away. And all you see is the slider under your thumb that tracks under your thumb regardless of where you move it vertically. And you can see the effect of that slider on the canvas. So if your thumb is covering it, you can move the slider out of the way to to show what it is that you're affecting. It's really fucking smart and it's really, really performant. I've been really impressed with how how well done it is, you know. I'm not good at it yet. I, I, I'm still very slow and clunky at using it. But if you watch any of the getting started tutorials that are available in the kind of what's new section when you download the app, 
if you're good at it, you can be fucking fast. Because I had to repeatedly pause and play back all of the things that they were doing and slowly drag through so that I could actually see, like, oh, wow. what is he tapping okay. on? What is he doing? Because everything is just so fast. If you're if you're actually fluent with the app and know where all the different sliders go and where everything is supposed to be, you can assemble a screen really quickly. I, it's it's cool. I, I'm gonna play around with it some more. I've been trying to like recreate existing apps. So it's like, okay, well, I, I know how I do this in Sketch or Figma. How would I do this in Play? And it's different, but there's enough things the same that I I feel like all of my existing design tool skills translate pretty easily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's very exciting. And also for beta, if you're already singing high praises about functionality and performance, that's fantastic. So yeah, sweet. One one other point that I'd like to make is they've done a really smart thing of including the design system from the get-go. So every project that you create has its own unique design system that includes text styles and colors and a library of components. And I think that library might be shared across different projects. doesn't matter. Regardless, the cool thing is it, it sets all this stuff up for you. So it's kind of a generic set of colors that you can use, but you can replace all of those with your own hex values. And the, the same thing that you would spend a long time building and setting up a library in Sketch or Figma, you can just do all that stuff built into the app and you're kind of good to go. And I think it's already kind of set up to be Apple iOS generic as far as the colors and styles and all that stuff. But you can choose different fonts. You can upload your own fonts eventually. I don't think it's available yet, but you can set all the different weights and styles and colors, everything. It's super fucking smart. I think this is table stakes moving forward. Mm, like any sufficiently wow. large design is going to need some sort of design system to help set things apart. Oh, another thing that I forgot spacing is part of this design system too. So you can set up your design tokens. You can say four, eight, 16, 24, whatever you want those to be. And that becomes notches on the slider for different spacings. Oh, nice, nice, yeah. Right? Cool. Yeah, okay. it's fucking genius, man. I've been really impressed. And and I never would have thought of any of this stuff, right? If you had given me this problem, I don't know that I would ever have come up with these same solutions, but they work so good. It makes me jealous, Brian. <laughs> What's the URL again for people that want to try and get on the beta? It's uh, createwithplay.com. Awesome. Oh man, I'm so, I'm jealous. I didn't get into the beta. What the hell? <laughs> I guess I'm just so famous, Brian. They must have recognized yeah. my notoriety. So play people, if you hear this for some reason, slide slide me that beta access. That'd be sweet. <laughs> yeah, it's good. I, I think they just pushed another update. So it, it's been a decent cadence as far as regular nice, updates nice. With, yeah. with reasonably large changes in every update. Well, very cool. All right. Uh, should we get into some tweets? We just have one tweet this week. This week, we heard from James Brooks, who has been doing this a, a couple times, I suppose, so far, um, basically retweeting the episodes, but with like a little outline of what we talk about. It's kind of mm -hmm. nice with some some hashtags and some at mentions. So uh, James kind of broke down the main topping points of our interview with Meg Lewis from last week. So thanks for the tweets, James. Appreciate yeah. that. We'll have a link in the show notes. Thanks for doing that. We see you. We see you. Appreciate it. We see you. I know you. All right, let's get into some main topics. Marshall, some interesting things happened this week. Mm -hmm. Unexpected, unveiled without that much, I don't know. Pomp and circumstance. But this feels like it could be transformative. iPad OS got cursor support. Yeah. Well, it had it before, but it was very rudimentary, right? 
Yeah, this is like first class cursor support with an upcoming first party keyboard and trackpad for the iPad, a trackpad for the iPad. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about this because first of all, the implementation of it is interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, we could also just talk about like the new iPad and some patterns that I'm noticing at least. Uh, but I think the cursor part here is probably the most interesting design angle to talk about. Yeah. So hit me with your first impressions. Uh, obviously, you and I haven't played with it, but we've seen videos. I watched Craig's video on YouTube of how it works, and they like kind of zoom in on the UI as the cursor's moving around. And like read some early reviews, but hit me with your first impressions when you saw this. I didn't realize Craig Federighi had made a YouTube video. I'll have to check this out. Um, yeah, it's it's a little bit awkward. It's like 60 frames per second, him just standing by a table, like kind of giving a keynote style delivery, but it's just him in a room. I don't know. It, it's fine. Uh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I've seen plenty of GIFs and analyses of this, so I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Well, this is another example of a solution that I don't know if I ever would have come up with on my own, and it's also very smart, which makes me sad. It's a solution that I didn't even know a problem existed for. Yeah. I didn't think about cursors as a problem. Yeah. Uh, I did, but all of the solutions that I would have come up with would have been an evolution on the desktop cursor, right? The existing precedent. This is a brand new way of thinking about how a cursor behaves as it moves across the screen. Do you want to kind of outline that for the listeners, Brian? Yeah, so the new system is the cursor is a circle. It's like a semi-transparent black. So it's like ends up rendering gray. It's a circle to represent your fingertip. But the most interesting part about this circle cursor is that its shape and behavior is adaptive to the elements that it is touching. So If you move the cursor over text, in the same way on your Mac, if you hover over text, you get the little eye bar, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That says, hey, you're about to select some text. This is something I would have expected, right? Like this this is normal, but... This is normal, but the height of the eye bar adapts to the size of the text that you are hovering over, which mm-hmm. does not happen on desktop. Yeah, it becomes the input cursor rather than an eye bar. Yeah. Yeah. Similarly, when you cursor over navigation buttons or app icons, the cursor doesn't disappear, but it like becomes the thing that you're hovering. So like the button will get a gray background. It's like a focus and like state. zoom in a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like a focus. Yeah. Which is an interesting pattern and I want to talk about like whether or not that will ultimately be confusing. But anyways, so yeah, the, the cursor adapts to the content that it is touching. And uh, one of my favorite examples that they showed in, in Craig's video actually is if you're in a spreadsheet document, right? And you tap on a cell, uh, maybe you want to be able to resize that cell left and right. So if you cursor over like one of the grab handles for mm-hmm. that cell. You'd normally get like a left, right arrow kind of thing on a desktop. Yeah, the cursor, you can see it split into like two little triangles on either side of the handle. So the cursor is doing all sorts of interesting manipulations around that. And all to, all with beautiful animated transitions too, right? It seamlessly oh, transitions so nice. from yeah. one shape to the next, yeah. Yeah, as I as I look at this and I think of other precedents for how this functions and how it has a little magnetic property to it, right? You kind of snap into the different buttons. And this feels a lot like Apple TV, right? Because you don't have a cursor on Apple TV, you only have a focus selection state. 
And it's sticky in that you can kind of wiggle around on top of whatever you're currently selected and it will it'll kind of wobble around. But if you push it past a threshold, it will snap to the next focus object, right? There's physics to it, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is the same way. Like you kind of are magnetically centered on any given target and you have to nudge it sufficiently away from that target to either pop out and become a normal cursor again or snap to the next tap target. So I feel like they really looked to Apple TV as a way to implement this specific cursor input because it's like you don't want to have a pointer, right? You don't want to have the typical pointer arrow <laughs> point at everything. You don't, and, and especially on iPad, in most cases, you don't need to be pixel precise, you just need to be tap area precise, right? Sort of, but that's where I'm getting confused because the point of a cursor, at least on desktop, certainly is to be pixel precise, right? Like, yeah, that's why the click events happen at the very tip of the mouse mm-hmm. on that one point area. Mm-hmm. But here it's much fuzzier. And I get that it's accommodating for the design of the platform where tap targets are larger. Yeah, you got 44 points. I could interpret that as also like not going the full distance to what many people who want a cursor actually want, which is something more precise. Uh, it seems like their circle is adequately small. Like it will, it's probably even smaller than that 44 by 44. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, maybe it'll feel right in practice, but just as a point, it does seem interesting that if a cursor is about more precision and then they sort of don't go all the way with actually having it be pixel precise, then maybe it feels like a half measure for certain people, especially creatives. Like maybe it's less appealing, although I I suppose a creative who's using an iPad to create things is probably more drawn to the pencil for that reason. Yeah, I think when you want your pixel precision, that's when you get out the pencil. Yeah. I want to get your thought on this because before we started recording, I saw a tweet from Ryan Morrison, who we'll have a link to this in the show notes, but he made a basically a little prototype of how these interactions work, but you could use your mouse on a on a desktop computer. Yep. And so I, I got to sort of play with what it would feel like. And it was a little jarring for me to see my cursor disappear and become an element. Like my cursor became the background of a button. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell if it was just, oh, this is novel and unfamiliar and I will get used to it. Or if I actually felt uncomfortable with my cursor sort of disappearing, like especially in a lot of the videos from the this announcement, it shows the cursor like panning between a row of buttons mm-hmm. and your cursor never appears. Like it just switches the focus state between the buttons in a row. Like Apple TV shelf. I don't know if that's disorienting when I'm moving my finger? Like, is that frustrating that I don't see the linear motion, but instead I just sort of see like focus states transitioning and things sort of zooming in and out? I don't know, but that does stand out to me as like, I might feel like I lose some control where I don't have this persistent element that sits always at some higher Z index than anything else on the screen that I'm always aware of where it is in space. Now it's sort of bleeding into the content. It's breaking that Z-index barrier. I I don't think we'll ever see this on desktop unless it's in very specific use cases. To address a couple of your concerns, I I think for me, the the nudge, the, the kind of magnetism of having to push past the threshold to get to the next object and the bounds of your currently selected object moving to show that tension before it snaps to the next one. The next one is kind of 
pulled towards your cursor in the other direction as you get closer to it. Like I, I think that feels physical and visceral enough to translate to a lot of people. And having the entire object become the focus state is the clearest example of where the tap target is, right? Like there's no ambiguity as to whether when I click on this thing, if I'm going to be, you know, within the boundaries of it, right? There's been many, many times I've used applications where I think I'm clicking on something, but I'm a pixel off and it didn't register. Yeah, but that's that's why hover states exist, right? Like that's why you have a default state, a hover state, an active state, focus state. Like all of these states exist on elements, at least in, you know, the web world mm-hmm. that are meant to provide this visual feedback to users. Like, okay, you're in the area where a click will happen. Okay, the click is going to happen. Or you're using your keyboard to navigate. This thing is focused. And if you hit enter or space, like the thing will trigger. So it's like grabbing a couple of those. Well, the problem with that is that requires the developer to implement those different states. My guess is mm-hmm. this is just using the tap targets of any given object. And, and yes. like, do you know if there's going to be extra developer effort necessary to make this possible on your apps? The early information that I'm seeing is that it will work by default if you're using stock components. Otherwise, you will have to do additional work, which kind of makes sense. That sounds reasonable. Mm-hmm. Does this make you more or less likely to have an iPad as a primary computing device in the future? Like, what do you think this means for you going forward as in terms of sort of this gradient between the iPad and the MacBook getting a little blurrier? We're not there yet for me, for me. I, I, would, I would feel comfortable telling my parents to ditch their kind of shitty laptops and get this instead because they're not, they're not doing audio editing. They're not doing interface design on this thing. They're, they're basically doing music and email and browsing and, and stuff like that. So I think this is perfect. And there is something incredibly sexy about that floating display, Brian. I don't know how you feel oh, about that it. That new magic keyboard looks so nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, I, the, the appeal of this iPad for me is not the hardware of the iPad itself. It's the accessory. Yeah. And it is priced accordingly. It's like $400. <laughs> oh, shit. I didn't realize that. Wow. Okay. Hmm. Mm. It's either th- it's 300 or 350 or 400 and 450 for the different sizes. I can't remember, but it is very, very expensive. Wow. Wow. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk. A l- last thing that stood out to me about this whole iPad announcement was that they updated the camera and like it has the same sort of camera bump that the new iPhone Pros have. Mm-hmm. Except instead of the third camera, there's now LiDAR. Yeah. And there is a significant portion of the announcement video and of the iPad website that is purely dedicated to this LiDAR sensor, which is all about AR. Like Mm -hmm. multiple sections back to back where it's like, this is the future of AR. This is the highest fidelity AR. This is the fastest AR. This is like most accurate. Like they just keep going over and over and over. And if I'm reading between the lines, like, this is going to come to the phone at some point. Like, Yeah, we'll have four sensors on the back of the phone soon. I think Apple sees a narrative that I don't see yet. I have yet to use AR for anything practical. I mean, we had an episode about this a while ago about like, mm-hmm. is AR useful? And I don't know. There's very, very small tasks for me that it feels useful. But Apple just keeps doubling down. Like instead of a third camera, they put a LiDAR sensor. I think that says a lot because 
Apple is a camera company for the most part. So I, I don't know. <laughs> How do you interpret this increased focus of AR generally, but then also AR on the iPad? Like, what do you take away from that? My conspiratorial side says this is them testing the waters for a future vision device that will use a similar thing for, for AR, but strapped to your face somehow. And this is the first iteration, but it's strapped to an iPad, not to your, not to glasses or something. Yeah, I, I think it is, for me, it is useless until it's strapped to my head. <laughs> put it in my eyeball, please. Yeah, put it straight into my brain, then we're good. <laughs> until then, it's kind of cumbersome and doesn't display a whole lot of utility other than for games, right? Like games and maybe measurement and stuff. And furniture shopping is like the main use case. Furniture shopping and clothes shopping. Seeing things uh, proportionally like in context in the real world is a really good use case. And yeah, games that are supposed to exist in the real world, you know, that you can see through this window or I don't know. I I feel like there are applications to be sure, but uh, until it's, on my face and overlaid over all of my reality. I don't have to hold up a heavy device and look through it to see it. Until that point, I don't think it's going to be useful for me. Got it. All right. Um, Well, let's talk about cool things. Yeah, let's do some cool things. Uh, You want to go first? Sure. All right. So this is, uh, I get to do a television show this week. I don't think I've done a TV show in a long time. I'm so happy. I don't start that many shows. But this one I started based on a recommendation from Gabe Valdivia. And then he recommended it and then you tweeted about it. Yeah. And it was it was sort of a one-two punch for me. I'm like, all right, Gabe recommended it. I'll check it out. And then Marshall, you were like raving about it on Twitter. I'm like, okay, all right, this is too much signal. I got to check it out. So the show is called Devs. Mm-hmm. It is on Hulu. Mm-hmm. Uh, I resubscribed to Hulu specifically to watch this. Wow. And um, we're four episodes in. So at the time of this recording, we're four in. And it has been a very entertaining, thrilling, and on-brand show for me. So hmm. how do I give a synopsis without spoilers? Let's see. It, it, it takes place in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. It is about a tech company mm-hmm. that is working on future quantum computing magic stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, when there is powerful new technology being created by private companies, everyone wants a slice of the pie. Ooh, <laughs> way, way to set it up. All right. <laughs> yeah. Anything else would be a spoiler. But uh, yeah, that's my cool thing. So if you are on Hulu and want to check it out, I highly recommend it. It's Nick Offerman. He's doing fucking fantastic. He plays mm-hmm. the, the CEO of this tech company. And I don't recognize any of the other actors yet. You do. Who else? Uh, Allison Pill, I believe is her name. Uh, she was in Scott Pilgrim. She was in Snowpiercer. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay, I have seen her. Okay, so there's some people you'll recognize. And the acting is great. The, the filmmaking is great. The audio is a fucking trip. Like oh, the, man. the sound design is really interesting. Yeah. Any, anyways, the sound is fantastic. And it, it's a nicely done show so far. I'm excited to see where it goes. Yeah, it's from Alex Garland, who you may recognize from Ex Machina fame. Hmm. I'm going to give you, I think I I shared this little tidbit with you before, but the show is called Devs, Mm D-E-V-S, but there is speculation that the V is not a V. The V is a Latin U, so it really is Deus, meaning God which fits with the the theme of the show. And it's perfect because Alice Garland made Ex Machina. So now you have Deus and Ex Machina, Deus Ex Machina. It's perfect. Yes. Yeah. I don't know if that's just a coincidence or if that's actually intended, but we'll, we'll see as the show continues. I don't know. I think it's an interesting theory. And 
thematically on brand. Like if you go to Google Images and search for devs, I think you'll very it'll be very obvious why we might think this could be Dave's. Okay, cool thing, Brian. Good job. I wholeheartedly, full-throatedly endorse (laughs) your devs thing. I too shall contribute to people's wasting of time with my cool thing this week. Mine is also a TV show, and it's actually, I think it's over now, and I just started watching it, but everybody said it's really good, so I started watching it, and lo and behold, it is good. It's called The Good Place, Brian. Are you familiar with it? I am, yes. You've watched it? I watched like two episodes and dropped off. Okay, so I've watched two episodes as well, and no, maybe three now, and I'm in, so this should be interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, The one thing I wanted to talk about is it's called The Good Place, and you you can imagine why it's called The Good Place, because it's basically heaven, right? And there's another place called Bad Place, and that's hell. So these people that we're following are in The Good Place. And when I first started watching, I was like, oh, it'd be kind of cool to end up in the good place. This seems like a fun place to live and a really nice place to spend eternity, right? And then they started talking about the requirements for making it into the good place and how few people actually make it into the good place. And I was like, oh, no, I wouldn't make <laughs> oh, it, Brian. Oh, shit. Yeah. Uh, it was really interesting. But then as you start to watch the show, you're like, that, kind of, that person's kind of shitty. Like, you know, these people aren't as good as they pretend to be. Anyways, it's very, very funny. It's got Ted Danson and Kristen Bell and uh, some other people you might recognize. I've been thoroughly enjoying all three episodes that we've watched. It's our, it's our new like couple show that we watch, and it's been helping to keep our minds off of the insanity happening in the real world right now. So if you, yeah, yeah. you as well are looking for a way to escape reality, I think both devs and The Good Place are, are good places to start. Hey, hey. Hey. All right. Well, those are TV shows. Um, hope you enjoyed this episode, 339. Let us know what you thought. Uh, tweet at us. We always appreciate reading your tweets. If you want to support us, uh, go to patreon.com slash design details. Uh, we'll have a new episode of Bonus Land up already now. You heard the preview earlier. Bonus uh, Land, a- Bonus Land, Bonus, bonus Land. Bonus <laughs> Land, Bonus Land. <laughs> Shit, I forgot it. It's okay. Bonus Land, Bonus Land. All right, double echoes. Um, for just a dollar a month, get access to that private RSS feed with sponsor-free episodes and Bonus Land content. So thank you to everyone who's supporting the show. Also, thank you to Fathom Analytics for making this episode possible. If you need analytics for your website that are fast, simple, and care about the privacy of your visitors, go to designdetails.fm slash Fathom. Learn more about Fathom. Try it out. They have a free trial. And if you do decide to sign up, our URL is going to save you $20 on your first invoice. So once again, that's designdetails.fm slash Fathom. All right, that's it. As always, you can ask us a question on github.com slash specfm. Leave us a review on iTunes or just tweet at us at designdetails.fm. And of course, if you need more podcasts, go to spec.fm. That's our podcast network for designers and developers. Just you like up. you. Oh, you Just didn't say like, it. You didn't say it. I know, I'm mixing it up. up. Oh, man, Spin. I was trying to join in. Remix. <laughs> All right, thank you everyone for listening. We'll catch you next week. Bye. Bye. Boring. Sometimes you need stable, Brian. The safe comfort of 
the the vanilla blanket goodbye. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's like a, a warm hug. Mm. It's a nice hot cup of cocoa, Brian. All right, hit me with one more. Uh, it has to be different. <laughs> no, hit me with the most vanilla, like just heartwarming bye you can think of. Bye. All right, here's mine. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, my ears hurt. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs>